Welcome to Marketing Hell, the podcast that picks through the rubble of our dismal marketing failures to see if we can find one or two lessons so that you make all different blunders in your own campaigns. My name's Richard Leyland. In this episode, I'm interviewing Joe Glover. I first met Joe back in around 2016, might have been 2017, when I spoke at one of his earliest marketing meetups here in the UK, in Cambridge. And that was to an audience of maybe 50 people. And I then got overly busy with work and with kids. And I just neglected networking. I neglected being any part of a wider marketing community, really until this year. And while I had my own head down, Joe was building the marketing meetup into a global community of more than 20,000 marketers. And what I think is interesting about that is the way he stayed true to quite an idealistic vision of what community can be, of what this community can be. And he describes it as a positively lovely community that helps you become a better marketer. Good afternoon, Joe. It's great to have you on. And let's start with, I invited you onto a podcast called Marketing Hell and said I'd love to discuss your biggest failings and see what we can learn from them. What came to mind, first of all, when you got that invite? Um, For me, it's probably a, a failure that happened within the past year. And it was a failure that I imagine a lot of marketers with multi-million pound budgets and, and all kinds of things probably would deem probably quite insignificant. But for me, it marked a bit of a watershed moment. Um, it was a moment where I felt emotionally battered afterwards and also, you know, to be honest, just quite upset. So the moment that I wanted to share and speak about, and, and we can broaden the conversation out about automation at, uh, later on in, in the episode, was all about a particular day where coronavirus had just struck and the marketing meetup have had to cancel 140 of our events. It was uh, it was an emotional time. And if everyone sort of casts their mind back to how they felt in those few weeks after the first lockdown, they can probably remember how they felt. And it probably wasn't particularly nice. On this particular day, then we just finished off our first webinar um, so we moved all our events online and we just finished off our first webinar and we decided to host all our events on zoom when i was discovering what platform to use for online events and, and so on and so forth we decided on zoom and i was playing around with the settings and within the settings there were a bunch of options for automations one of which was to uh, send an automated email out to folks who did not attend the event so a regular problem within the the events industry, or maybe it's not even a problem, it's just an accepted truth, is that people don't turn up for the things that they sign up for. At the time, I was feeling particularly bruised about that. I'd, I'd love a 100% attendance rate. So for me, I just wanted people to be there. And I thought it was genuinely useful for their life as well. So I couldn't understand why someone would sign up for something and then not turn up. So within the automation on Zoom, I... Uh, I was playing around, as I say, and I just typed out a message, which was probably a little bit closer to the truth than I intended, which was I wrote a line which went uh, something along the lines of, uh, sorry, we missed you, but why would you sign up for an event that you wouldn't attend? There's probably part of me that sort of, th- sort of thought that was quite funny at the time. And, it, you know, it was intended on in being in that spirit and everything that the marketing meetup does and, and how I communicate online has always been about that personable you know slightly tongue-in-cheek style about of communicating 
but the context was important in that moment and the context was people were bruised and the last thing that they wanted to be happening to them was to have a go as someone be having a go at them from a marketing community for an event that they signed up three weeks ago for it was on that day you know that that email went out of course <laughs> and so how many people actually saw that um so that was our first webinar so things have grown quite considerably since but i think there was about uh 400 people that email went out to so it wasn't massive and it wasn't small it was just an amount of people the one thing i would say however is that rather than it being a large number it was an engaged number so imagine sending that email to 400 friends and you're probably closer to the truth of what that felt like and so what came back from it we got just a a bunch of well so the next day i, I actually the, the the irony about all of this is that i didn't know it had gone out until i started getting the replies and that's the thing about automation is that it's automated so you don't necessarily see what you get back um but on that particular day i started getting back some replies like oof joe you know like people writing back saying oh you really missed the mark on that one i had one in particular saying Right now, I'm sat here at my desk trying to figure out how I can uh, save my business and not get rid of any of my staff. So for you to be having a go at me like this isn't fair. And that was the email that in particular sort of stung because it was it was from someone who I, I wouldn't consider them quite yet a friend, but they were, we were certainly on, on the track to being there, you know, and, and in that moment, something that I had done contrary to everything I try to do had had an adverse effect on their day um, so there, there were a number of emails to that effect and even ones uh, which came back which were like actually found it quite funny but also you know sort of recognized that it was quite out of tone and not in keeping with everything that we'd sort of been building up to that point yeah did the first message that you got that challenged it did that immediately push you over into that was a mistake or did it take a buildup of messages to sort of talk you into accepting it was a blunder? No, I think I knew there and then because I was able to see that the message went out. Uh, I was able to see that, um, you know, this thing that had never been intended to see the light of day was out it, it was out in the world. Ah, so you did not intend it. So this was a placeholder, was it? This was not a planned message out. This is something you'd planned oh, yeah, to replace. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Yeah, so it was a complete placeholder. Um, there is a lesson in that, which is never put placeholder text in something that can go out, which <laughs> I have since learned. But it was it was supposed to be a complete placeholder, and as I and yeah, good question because it was never intended on going out, but it did. So it was in that moment I was certainly like, yeah, I need to do something about this. I I feel like I know that you're you're going to speak to a bunch of folks on this podcast who probably will say you know, they've spent a million pounds in the wrong way or something like this. But I think marketing hell, you know, for me and, and in that moment, and it was that moment where you saw that the email went out, it's that feeling, you know, where you've done something and your stomach just drops and you're like, I really, really wish that hadn't happened, you know? And and for me, my personal marketing hell is uh, is harming someone or, or, or not adding to their life. Uh, in a positive way so so yeah it was a it was a big deal for me right there right then in that moment so we'll find out what it is you actually did after this but what were the different responses you thought about for me there was probably 
only two. So the first was do nothing. And then the second was do something. <laughs> and uh, in the in the do something category, there was only one option, really. And, and that was to apologize. It was, you know, it would have been easier to have done nothing, probably. But I think as a marketer, as a business person, as someone who spent time in businesses, then honesty as a policy and, and sort of being genuine and authentic has never done me wrong. I learned this lesson more so after this experience. However, I would say that like, I think as a character trait and as a way to go about marketing and business in general, if you are honest and authentic, then you've got nowhere else to go afterwards. You know that it's going to be kind of all right. Like one way or another, you've done your best rather than sort of trying to run away from the situation. So um, doing nothing wasn't really an option. So doing something suddenly became the thing that it was clear to do. Yeah. So you presumably wrote an apology email and sent it just to the people that had received the slightly pushy, why did, Why would you register email? Just those people got the response or a broader group? No, precisely that. So it was, it was, it was the subsection of folks who, who received the email, got an honest apology straight back from me. It was something that said words to the effect of, you know, that really wasn't supposed to go out, but the fact that it did is something that I own. I really didn't mean for that to happen, but the fact that it has, I, I can only apologize and I'll do better in the future. There are a lot of personal pronouns within the email. There was a lot of just looking to to own the situation and say that was something I really wasn't proud of. And and, and yesterday, so yesterday I, I had the benefit of uh, speaking with a, a chap called David Hyatt, who runs a company called Hyatt Denim and, and the Do Lectures. And so he was recalling a, a situation where he was writing an email to his customer base on the day that he had to close down his denim factory because COVID had closed it. And he recalled the experience that when he was writing that particular email, then he was sat there bawling, you know, because he was doing this thing that meant so much to him. And I, I think that was my Hyatt Denim moment in a way, you know, that was my, I'm really, really sorry, you know, and, and, and saying it in a genuine sense, there wasn't any fluff. There wasn't any corporate language. There wasn't anything like that. It was just, it was just a chap sort of apologizing and, and doing his best to make up for something, which some people may consider it small, but uh, for me felt very meaningful. So even apologies, though, can be quite difficult, particularly for marketers, I find, because the, the apology itself can be a little bit performative. You know, once you've decided I'm going to apologize, you can then turn the apology into mm. sort of like a humble brag. Look at me, aren't I a magnanimous guy in doing my apologies? So it's hard to, it's hard to pitch that, I find. And I've seen some bad apologies that looked on the surface to be good apologies. Um, did you show your apology to anyone else? Did you get... Did you get like third-party opinions, you know, your your other half, for example, or did you just send it without referring it outwards? No, it's, it's a good it's a good point, isn't it? So, isn't that the uh, the the thing that every YouTuber does that they uh, they'll spend a lot of time making videos and then they'll they'll mess one up and then they have to make an apology video, which always seems very not heartfelt and stuff like that. In in this particular scenario, then it was quite clear what needed to be done. So I, I didn't spend time, you know, sort of getting opinions from other people and stuff like that. It was it was a gut instinct. This was the wrong thing to do. It's right to apologize. 
this is an email and you know for me then writing is a way that I communicate far better than sort of spoken word or anything like that so writing was and is something that comes naturally to me so I felt pretty right that the right words were there of course there's some editing that needs to go into these things just to make sure that as you say you don't do the performative thing you you do the genuine thing and so I think the the, the thing that layers into this is that uh, you're judged by not just the apology itself, but also your actions surrounding all these things. So, for example, everything with the marketing media, we, we never took a ticketing fee to attend our events. We've always given the money straight to charity, you know, and, and we speak about being positively lovely and looking after each other. Everything that the marketing meetup has done to date sort of pointed in the direction that we're there to look after each other and we're there to be genuine and authentic. And And with that spirit in mind, then... I don't think an apology or any activity can be taken as a silo. I think it's always got to be seen in the context that it operates in. Um, so for us, you know, it was the email, which was a little bit rude and, and out of place and out of context was the thing that was out of keeping. And actually the apology was far more in line with everything we'd done to date. Um, so I think for that reason, it was sort of received better or than something which could have been more performative. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. So I'm going to work on the assumption that most people just accepted your apology at face value, right? You've built up a, you know, a credibility and a relationship with people. But I guess what I'm more interested in is were there holdouts that didn't accept your apology or that were still irritated with you even after the apology? Yeah. Yeah. So I would say that, um, 60% of folks didn't reply. Uh, 30% of folks came back and said, you know what, you screwed up. And, you know, I saw that email and I wasn't going to say anything. And and that's the interesting part here as well. I wasn't going to say anything, but the fact that you've actually come out and apologized, you know, has actually made me think more of you. So there was a silent, there was a silent minority who would have judged it, but not said anything. And then there was the 10% who said, no, you know, you know, you screwed up. And, and that was, you know, the, it's not just one person, but it's the example that was the most striking where you know somebody wasn't in a good place for very good reasons you know looking to save their company and they said you know in this moment i'm actually just a little bit pissed off and they didn't say i'm pissed off you know but the implication was there it's funny actually because before this episode then i actually took the time to get back in touch with them and I, i found the email um that you know the email response and chain and uh, I just got back in touch with them and, and sort of said, I hope that you've had a good year and, and you know, that you're all right. And, and our last interaction wasn't great. So I hope you're doing okay type of thing. And and they were brilliant, you know, characteristically brilliant. And, and they said, you know, I don't hold grudges, life's too short. So I think <laughs> it's something that I'm, I'm a classic overthinker as a marketer anyway, you know, or just as a human being. So something that other people might have moved on from in 10 minutes you know it's taking me a full year to go back to them and, and just sort of check in again but the fact that they did even if they sort of didn't accept it at the time they have done since uh, so i think there's a lesson there in itself which is time is a time is a good healer as well and if you're willing to put the effort into these relationships in the long term then often these bumps can just be bumps but you know, if you allow them to sort of fester or grow or get worse or whatever, then then you're missing out on a trick because there's folks out there who would be willing to sort of have these adult conversations 
and and treat you as a as an adult and treat your relationship as an adult but uh you've got to take the time to sort of get back in touch this has clearly upset you clearly had a kind of uh, an effect on your world for months not 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 days right has it actually changed how you see your own yeah professional life um I'd, I'd definitely say i'm just a little bit more careful so like if we broaden this out to automations and stuff like that then you know i, I am now the guy that sort of hovers over every send button every automation flow um and and sort of checks it rechecks it checks it again you know and probably does five or six times in a way which i probably never would have done before i think it's very easy to get busy being busy and actually i think it was a lesson for me which is um if you do things with applied thought then you're unlikely to have to go back into these things and sort of create these situations for yourself so a big thing for me in the in the year since and and in fairness we all had to move quick when coronavirus struck you know businesses were on the line including my own is that you know now we're a year on is to slow down just a little bit and be a bit more thoughtful in my actions to avoid stuff like this but also because i think you end up producing a far better result uh, as a result as well mm -hmm. I, I definitely recognize in myself that as someone who operates in our space i probably i half ass a lot of things and it's not because I don't care and it's not because I want to do a bad job it's because I'm trying to do 10 things at once so I think this was a fine example of me half-assing something and uh there's a quote from Parks and Recreation I think it is uh where the main the main character says never half-ass anything make sure you always full-ass it so I'm doing my best to full-ass everything from now so. <laughs> I had a similar conversation um in a previous interview with um, a guy called Martin Zabba, who I previously worked with, actually, he's a great guy. And he, um, he, we had a conversation about just busyness in a marketing role. And I think we, we agreed that actually busyness is the enemy of proper strategic planning, but also just the tedious job of the details. Mm -hmm. Busyness is problematic and you make, make mistakes just on the basis of having taken on too much. Or it may be that others expect too much of you, but I think more often it's that you yourself take on too much. Um, particularly in a startup environment, which is mm -hmm. where he's from. Um, so that can be the issue on its own, really. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it's interesting as a, as, as marketers, then we are expected to do a lot of things. And, and I probably identify my title as much as a founder now, as much as I do a marketer. And, and they're both two roles, which are classically busy with many, many things. I would say that in those organizations, and I have spent the majority of my time as a marketer in small organizations with many hats doing quote unquote marketing, you know, I think in those spaces, then we, we are expected to do a lot from social media to graphic design, to, to positioning, to messaging, to PPC, to SEO. And, and, and we can't do all of those things. Well, truthfully, you know, we'll become the jack of all trades, master of none. So in that sense, it's hard to avoid that trap because I think that's an expectation that we place on ourselves, but also an expectation that is placed upon us by those folks who, in the same way I haven't taken the time to understand finance, they haven't taken the time to understand marketing. And so the expectation is that marketing can do all these things when really you need specialists if you're going to be doing any one of these things well. You need someone either, well, I should backtrack a bit, either a specialist or to give forgiveness and time to someone to become really, really good at a series of things uh, rather than expecting them to do 100 things at once.
Yeah, there's something about marketing in the sense that most of the sort of um, functions within marketing, anybody could have a go at and experienced, trained people will do it better than those that have got no experience and no training. But fundamentally, most things you could try your hand at. And I wonder if that means that even professional marketers have a go at stuff that they really shouldn't and that they don't have a huge grasp of. And I guess one reason I say that is because I'm a, at the moment, I'm a chief marketing officer for a um, product development company. And so I'm responsible for every discipline within marketing, or at least every discipline that we choose to try. But it would be ridiculous to say that I had some sort of, you know, ultimate expertise in all of those disciplines. I really don't. Um, so I try and bring people in that do, right? That's the, mm-hmm. the that's the knack. That's the trick. That's it. Well, I, I think it, it, as a senior marketer, then you, you do just need to uh, have that base knowledge on a, bit, a bunch of stuff, but also just be able to, to trust in the people you bring in, right? Mm-hmm. That's the hope, yeah. So let's move on to another topic then. You've previously told me that in the world of events marketing, you've made most of the mistakes that it's possible to make. And I'd love to hear about some of that stuff. And if I start off with my starting point about events, right? Of all of the disciplines within marketing, the one that I think I should never be put in direct charge of is events marketing, because it has often felt to me like um, a details discipline, right? It's about being right on top of a huge <laughs> swathe of details. And it's not that I'm terrible at that, but it's certainly I'm not the most obvious candidate for that. So I would just not dedicate myself to events marketing. I need specialists to do that. So with that starting point, tell me about any mistakes that you've made in, in events marketing. Uh, well, I, I would agree with your point, actually, in, in that um, there's an amazing events marketer. I know her, her job title is actually a head of relationship marketing at Engine Group. And uh, her name's Emma, Emma Honeybone. And she has a spreadsheet which goes down to the minute of different tasks. You know, so uh, this person needs to be doing this thing at this time and so on and so forth. Uh, likewise, when I worked in the conferencing space in the real world, then we had an event organizer called Wendy, Wendy Labib, Wendy Labby. And, and she was, again, another highly organized individual who brought together everything, <laughs> you know, in a space. The event wouldn't have run without her. So I think it's fair to say that your, your assumption about event marketing is correct. <laughs> you do need those organized people. But the other thing is that you just need to be busy. I think at the end of the day, every event in the entirety of the world ever never really feels like a success from the side of the event organizer. So I've had speakers who have dropped out. I've had sponsors who have walked up to me and been offended that we didn't give them more time on stage. Uh, We've had uh, speaker badges go missing. We've had attendee badges go missing. We've not had badges. We've had AV screens not work for events. We've had pizza turn up late. We've had no drinks arrive, but these things happen. And I think a little bit in a, in a similar vein to uh, the example we gave earlier with, with the email automation, if you treat people as adults, then generally speaking, if you explain the situation for it is, most people are actually quite decent about it. I guess one example, if we were to nail in on one, was uh, it, it wasn't a mistake of my own. It was it was a set of circumstances where we were running an event in London. Uh, one speaker had uh, driven down from Cambridge, so spent a couple of hours of their time coming down to speak. 
at the event in London. Another one was like a really well-known person on the influencer circuit. And on that night, the TV didn't turn on, which was going to display their slides. So we had 100 people in the room, and they didn't have their slides all of a sudden. Now, both of them, well, in fact, so one of them was a former stand-up comic. So for him, it was like, you know, it's now my time to shine. And actually, he was able to give a great performance because he's a performer. Uh, for the other speaker, then they'd actually spent an awful lot of time sort of getting these slides designed, you know, sort of all graphicked up and sort of motion graphics and all that stuff, and they couldn't use them. And that that you know that that really. So did they present? Did they actually go ahead with it, or just pull out? They did. Yeah, they absolutely did. And I think the only solution to it, again, and it's a common sense thing, really, but you know, you, you just had to explain it to them. So. Uh, her name was Lisa, uh, or is Lisa, <laughs> and uh, I, you know, explained the situation to Lisa. Gave her the option to to continue or or not to continue. Uh, made sure that she was truly comfortable with that, rather than sort of putting pressure upon her to sort of actually pursue it. And she said, "No, I'd like to continue." We explained it to the audience likewise, and, and at the beginning of the set of the uh, session, sort of said, "Well, we'd planned today to give you a certain type of event, but we've got a different one." Uh, John and, and Lisa are, are going to be presenting today, but they're going to be doing it without their slides. Uh, so cut them a bit of slack and let's have a nice time. And the, the thing that came out the back of it was two brilliant talks that were far more ad-libbed, but also far more human. I think for me, this just sort of breeds into a, a basic philosophy, which is if you treat people like adults, you're honest, you, you, you explain the situation to them rather than sort of doing smoke and mirrors in both of these scenarios, but I'd also generalize this to any moment of marketing hell that I've experienced in my life. If you do all these things, it's not actually rocket science. Some people, the vast, vast majority of people are going to be very, very accepting of these things. Again, I need to caveat that with the fact that we've built up our brand in a certain way, which is very human. It's accepting of mistakes. It's saying, you know, we're here to have a good time and we're making things up as we go along. So all of these things, I think, are, are relevant as part of the conversation, but I don't think they're unattainable for brands or companies out there. For me, it certainly seems to make sense as a as a way to build a company. The way you just described the the person standing up and not having their slides in front of them reminds me of one of my own bits of marketing hell. So um, I think it was probably the very first time I ever spoke at a conference as a as a sort of you know named speaker at a technical conference and. I worked for a think tank at the time. And so we were all about our analysis, our insight, the smart that we could share out there with the market. And I was probably just about qualified enough to do this presentation, but I was in the early stages of my career and it was perhaps a little bit of a reach. But fundamentally, I was presenting somebody else's slides, right? Because it had been the CEO of this think tank that had actually been booked. And for whatever reason, he couldn't make it. And I was the substitute that was put in. And the, the thing that made it in just utterly terrifying at the time, I mean, partly just I wasn't that experienced, but the essence of it being somebody else's slides, you know, this wasn't me. This was someone else's analysis, somebody else's content, and I didn't take the time to script it. And so I had this awkwardness of trying to put my own interpretation on someone else's deck. And I, I mean, I can still feel the fear now, even just recounting the story. It was terrifying and just dreadful. <laughs> and it wasn't even a huge crowd. It was, I don't yeah. know, I'm going to say 40 or 50 people or something, nothing huge. 
And the sort of thing that now I would find not particularly terrifying either with my own content or with someone else's, but my God, I'm sweating now just thinking about it. Dreadful. It's so true. And and, and that speaks to the authenticity point, right? That speaks to um, the moments of being yourself. And I think truly, if we're going to be making the best of our, our marketing operations or whatever it is, then it is giving people the freedom to be themselves in, in different ways. Now, granted, your circumstances there sound like you were shoved in at the last minute, but had you had the presentation where you'd taken the time to put it together, you know, you, you would have taken away certainly that set of anxiety and, and probably delivered something far superior. It's, um, I think there's some, a great amount of freedom and joy to be given and giving other people responsibility and saying, you know what, you fly with this now, you know, and, and I think you get better results as, as, as a, as a result of, of that sort of process. Mm -hmm. So are there any other particular areas of marketing hell that are, are worth us pulling apart? I, I think there are other examples of marketing mistakes that have happened over the same, over the course of my career, but I think we'll always come back to that same solution, which is genuinely like in any situation that I've ever been presented where I've had that gut, you know, that gut drop, you know, where you're like, oh God, the world is going to end. Uh, I have sent that email to the wrong list, <laughs> whatever it is. Usually it's solved through honesty, through authenticity and through communication. And I know that sounds like cliche marketing, but I think the, the secret source there is you just got to mean it. I think a lot of people feel like they're working for companies where they're not feeling like they're going to be themselves. You know, they're, 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 they're going through the motions or they're doing what they think other people want them to do. Or indeed that they have to go through several layers of bureaucracy to get a message out there. Mm. So that that's quite difficult for people, though. Meaning it can be quite difficult because if I take an example of, let's say, a digital marketer marketing a software package, right? how much of what they say can be authentic in the sense mm -hmm. of meaning it. Um, it they're, they're just trying to find, you know, features, advantages and benefits and making sure you communicate them to the right audience. And I wonder if you're always going to struggle for meaning at that level. No, I, I completely disagree. Um, so for me, like, I think uh, you might be selling software and you might be looking for features and benefits but the end result is always the human on the other side. Maybe this is something that only speaks to my personal motivations, but I can only speak from my own experience. That's all I've got. Um, and for me, everything has, has a human on the other side. And, and really, you're, you're looking to, to solve or improve their lives. You know, so for me, the definition of marketing on its highest, highest level is solving the needs of the customer. And like needs are just, uh, something which can improve someone's life and, and customer is a human being whether you're you know in software or innocence movies or, or nike or an oil rig or whatever it is everything that you do has an emotional impact on a human being somewhere so you don't for, for me I, I, the features and benefits yeah fine they exist but they're not the thing that's going to matter i think if you can get passionate about helping people then you can get passionate about more or less anything in marketing. It's the same thing as, so with the marketing meetup, the most, one of the most regular questions that we get for any topic, whatever it is, is does this apply to B2B and my company is boring, what can I do about it? You know, the solution is the same thing. 
you come back to the human beings at the end of it. In B2B, uh, there's a bunch of human beings that you're still targeting. And in fact, B2B can be so much funner than B2C because you can actually have those personal relationships with folks. And likewise with boring companies, then you just need to find those examples of, of bringing it to life. For example, if you were going to take insurance, it's quite a dry topic. It's quite a dry industry, you think. But you imagine the moment that someone's house burns down and they're left with nothing. That insurance policy suddenly becomes the most important thing in their life and you are selling it. What a privilege to work in the insurance industry. You know, if you work for a funeral parlor, that sounds like something that could be quite dour and, and you know, you'd, you feel hesitant about marketing it. But in that moment, there's a human being on the other side of your marketing communications who is sat there and they are in pain and they are looking for reassurance and you're going to be taking the time to help them out and improve their life and, and, and provide a solution for that pain for that moment. Wow, what a privilege. You know, all these things for, for marketing for software, you know, let's let's speak software so a a sql database management platform well the thing that you're selling isn't isn't going to be that you you do it twice as quick as anyone else it can be that you half their workload or you make them look really really good to their boss who then makes them gives them a raise and the fact that they get a raise then means that they can go and feed their family and go to florida for the weekend whatever it is you know there's all these opportunities and, and really when you come down to the people element of things there's no such thing as a boring company there's no such thing as opportunities for inauthenticity there's no such thing as you know a company that can't operate on that human level you just got to think of it in that way and that's in truth is why when we come back down to these marketing hell examples is why when things go wrong you deal with it in the same way in the same way as when you fall out with a friend or a mum or a dad or whatever there's a period of time when there's a bit of pain but after that, you just got to communicate and you got to communicate on those honest, transparent, authentic ways. And in those moments, people can choose whether or not to accept those apologies or whatever. But you know that you've done your level best in that relationship to improve those things. So I don't know. I feel quite passionate about that because I, I, I truly don't think that marketing is anything other than a way to communicate, a way to improve someone's life. Hey, Joe, if you could do me a little favor, if you could call 2007 me and give him that pep talk, that would be absolutely <laughs> brilliant. I I can think of le at least the role I was in then and probably others where I it was never able to find any particular meaning and just bailed and went and tried something else. I found it very difficult and, and have done regularly. <laughs> well, I'm, glad it's, I'm glad it's useful. I, I genuinely mean it. And that's how we ended it. I have to be honest and say I don't really see the world in the same way as Joe. I think there are boring companies and I think there are marketing jobs that lack meaning. But I will also say I'm glad the world has got such optimism in it. And I can see that Joe isn't just living this optimism himself, but he's growing a community in a way that's totally consistent with his worldview and who he is. And that's quite something. So I hope you enjoyed that and see you next time.